0: Hi everyone, welcome back to Say so You Want To Be A Vet, the podcast series where we bring you honest and open discussions about life as a veterinary student and share the inspiring and motivating experiences of vets from all across the industry, from their vet school journey, and beyond before we get started make sure to subscribe to our podcast you can follow us on social media at say so you want to be a vet where we will be sharing behind the scenes clips doing live q a's and so much more don't forget to subscribe to our youtube channel with the same name where we upload regular videos such as cv and personal statement writing tutorials interview skills and so much more that will help you build a strong application to that school
1: Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of So You Want To Be A Vet. Today we have a really exciting episode for you and it's actually another installment of our wider reading series. We know you guys have been really enjoying our wider reading episodes so far um, so we thought we'd bring you another one and um, we are actually really lucky today to be joined with a guest that we've actually done a previous episode with before. Um, so today we are joined by Dr Rian Little-Hales. It's lovely to have you here today Oh, thank you. It's lovely to be back again. So last time we spoke to Rianne, she told us all about her time at Bristol Vet School, her journey into being a vet and what her career has been like since she graduated. Um, And um, she told us about how she was working for Medivet and she was currently their head of clinical operations. So Rianne, I was just wondering, since we last spoke to you, which was about a year ago now, Yeah. Has anything changed? Are you still doing the same position? Are you anywhere new? Like what what are you doing now?
2: So things are a little bit different and things have changed a little bit for me. So probably not long after we spoke um, I decided to move into the position of looking after the early careers work at Magivet because I enjoy working with new graduates and students and school students even so much that I just wanted to really explore that part specifically of that journey that people make into, into their first job as a vet or as a nurse. So in the last year or so, I've been looking at the graduate programme at Madivet, doing a bit of a redesign of the graduate programme at Madivet for trying to make it a programme that I would have wanted when I was a first opinion clinician and it was also really exciting because we formed a graduate mentor team as well, a team of vets who work with me to make sure that the program's really consistently delivered across all of our clinics and that everybody's got access to a really good mentor which is one of the things that I found really kind of excelled my career. Um, And then we've been looking um, also at running events for our graduates where they can all get together and do some CPD that's really relevant to your first year in practice, um, as well as having a bit of a party as well. We did have um, a bit of a a good event recently called our Graduate Gala where we got everybody together up in Blackpool for two days of CPD. We did a charity football match, some charity yoga, and we also um, had a bit of a party at the end. So it's been a really fun year and it's meant that I can focus a bit more on an area that I found really, always found really interesting. Um, I always wanted to work with new grads in some way or another. Um, so it's just been really lovely to be able to actually get to do that.
1: That sounds absolutely amazing. And it, it I find it really exciting, to be honest, to hear about um you know, the potential opportunities that are out there for when I graduate and the, and the things that, you know, you can sort of get involved with um, and we'll get into a little bit more about graduate programs and things like that um, yeah. a bit further on in the episode. Um, if people are wanting to hear more about Rian's, um, you know, previous job at Medivet um, and like I mentioned before, you know, her journey through vet school and things like that, please do go and listen to the episode that we posted about a year ago now. Um, so feel free to go and listen to that if you want more information. Um, but this episode, we are going to focus on the topic of veterinary corporatization. Now, this is something that a lot of you have probably heard of, but that some of you might actually not know what it means. And I think it's something that, you know, you hear a lot about in the media, and you hear a lot about vets talking about. And um, And in my experience, it's something that I hear about sort of quite negatively. Um, People sort of seem to not think very highly of it. And in this episode, we want to explain to you what it actually is um, and also, you know, the the benefits of it, as well as potentially some disadvantages, too. Um, So, Rianne, would you be able, please, to tell us what actually veterinary corporatisation is?
2: So um, a little while ago, um, the rules changed about who could actually own a veterinary practice. It used to be that you had to be a vet to own a veterinary practice. And then uh, the rules around that changed so that you did not have to be a vet to own a veterinary practice, um, which meant that there was some interest from corporate groups in the UK who are looking at buying groups of practices and, and sort of, Buying huge numbers of practices in different areas and across the company, uh, across the country. And when I say corporate, I think the really important thing to say is that some of these entities that bought practices were actually just groups of vets. Um, so Madivat, in fact, who I work for, when they started buying practices in an area, they were just a group of 15 vets who all merged their practices together. And started to buy more and more and more and it's become quite an attractive retirement option for some vets that want to sell their clinics on um as veterinary technology evolves and as generally life becomes more expensive it becomes more expensive to own a veterinary clinic um, and to buy a veterinary clinic especially one that's really well established and so it- quite a good retirement option for senior vets who want to sell their practice often the only entity that are able to purchase those practices at any sort of competitive rate are the corporates and probably around 2017 ish was when we saw a real huge consolidation of the market with lots of corporate groups um buying practices in all sorts of areas um and is I would say about five or six main groups and they've all got kind of their different selling points and their different things that make them different from each other but they now form one of the biggest types of employer in the veterinary industry across all of the sectors large animal small animal even some of the businesses that are associated with veterinary like laboratories some of the suppliers are also corporate owned so they are a huge part of the veterinary landscape and a really important part of the veterinary landscape as well because they make up such a big number
3: thank you for that that was a very good description because i've obviously i've heard about corporatization being in vet school and you, you hear this word thrown about and yet i was still like fairly unsure about what it actually is and like it's yeah it's one of these things you see in the media and you kind of just I think people sometimes see you know the word corporate and assume it's like a a big scary thing but I'm hearing like the Medivet began with just a group of vets sort of merging puts it in a a much more um like down-to-earth light like you know these are these are vets these are people we can relate to and things like that and you can see why they've done this and like sharing resources and knowledge and things like that so absolutely and some of them even
2: offer ownership options for vets as well so some of them some of these groups actually make it possible for vets who maybe couldn't have afforded to buy a practice outright to own a percentage or part or a franchise within a practice
3: okay yeah. like help that sort of um possibility that they might have had before
2: absolutely so certainly again i'm talking about medivet because that's the one i probably know the most about because that's the one i work for at the moment we allow vets to buy a percentage of the equity of a clinic so we can work with them and they own a percentage of the clinic as well and there are other groups that do similar models perhaps something like a franchise model um but they're also kind of ownership venture models
3: what do you think it is that made corporatization sort of increase so much like I feel like it it all began to like snowball and is suddenly something we hear about all the time from obviously when the rules changed like suddenly it was a possibility but I feel like in recent years even so it's like in increased in popularity
2: yeah absolutely I think I think a huge amount um good has actually come from it. And that's partly why it's grown so rapidly. So probably because you have this group of vets who own practices, and of course they're going to hit a retirement age, probably likely all at a similar time because it tends to be a whole generation that owned these practices. Um, and like I say, with the cost of living and with the fact that nowadays clients expect so much from a veterinary service, actually to run a practice and to buy a practice is so expensive that for the majority of vets, that isn't an option. Um, a lot of corporate employment practice is best practice. So, you know, they really stick very closely to regulations around working practices. They make, they're very attractive employing, op, employment options for vets, so that probably make them more popular as well. Um, there's probably a degree of standardization for clients. So they know that if they go to this branch of corporate, they've also got access to another branch somewhere else and they can expect the same sort of experience. Um, and it is like you said earlier, a bit of a kind of knowledge sharing community and that can make it really attractive as well. I think one other thing that is really attractive for um, For the profession as it currently is, is that we're a very female dominated profession and the corporates tend to be able to be in the position to offer great maternity packages and maternity covers. So it can be a really great employment option for somebody who wants a family because they can often be quite flexible in return to work things. And there's lots of different career options as well. So I think there's pressure from lots of different sides that have made it this way, you know, the fact that they're a good place to work, the fact that they often offer a standardized service for clients and that we've got this generation that probably want to sell their practices and need them to go somewhere. I think it it really just goes to
1: show that it's so important for, you know, when, when we hear about things in the media and when we hear about people's different opinions, that is so important to really think about what it is that you're hearing, because I know that I've heard before bad things about corporates. I I mean, some of the things I've heard is that like they, they don't care about you. They're just in it for the money. It's purely just a business. Like there's there's no sort of um, warmth or friendliness to them and, and all things like that. And I think it just goes to show that it's so important to really actually think about what it is that you're being told and think about whether or not that's actually the case. Um, And also to then put that in the context of that could be the same for an independent, privately owned practice, just because you've had a bad experience with one individual vet or one individual vet practice doesn't mean that just because it's got that corporate name, that that's the case for every single practice and things like that. Um, And I feel like a lot of the reason it can sort of get a bad name is because people tend to just be a bit resistant to change. Like people are so used to vets being independent, privately owned, a practice that maybe they're a local family owned and this that, and the other. So then to see it sort of becoming more corporate, people don't like that and it's scary and it's not what they're used to. And it makes people sort of think bad things about it, but that's not necessarily the case. There was
2: lots... There was lots because I started out in independent practice and there were lots of things that I remember that we had to do in my independent practice that just didn't really become issues anymore when we were at corporates or that I perhaps read or heard about in the press were issues with corporates that I actually felt were more of an issue in independent practice. So a really good example is um, people sometimes say things like... um, you know corporates um are expensive that's often something that you read in the press if i'd have asked my boss for a piece of equipment or a pay rise or there was something in the clinic that needed doing he'd always have to say to me he'd always have to make that decision of either we do it and we put the prices up or we don't do it um so it's almost like you can't really have the cake and eat it. You can't have the, the you know, the best paid positions and, and all the benefits that come without there being some compromise somewhere. Um, or perhaps another thing, you know, my, my independent boss was an absolute stickler for making sure that we got the best deal when we brought stock in. You know, I'm going to have a conversation with this rep and see if this rep can do me a really good deal. Um, you know... Corporate practices, you're not limited on what you can do in corporate practices. We don't say that, you know, this drug is completely out of bounds or anything like that. But just like my independent boss would, they'll look for a a better deal for the client. Um, So there's things that you read that happen in corporate practice. And I can see that the public think, oh, this is dreadful. But actually, a lot of it happens in independent practice as well, just on a very much smaller scale.
1: Yeah definitely and I've I've definitely sort of figured that out while being at uni as well because so obviously we have a professional studies strand and we've sort of had some lectures on corporatization and things like that and we've been told about how you know often people will say that you know in corporates you have to meet specific um, like numbers for the amount of flea and worm treatment you've sold or or whatever it might be and while well, that might be the case in some corporates, it's also definitely the case in some independently private owned practices as well. And I think this is the thing, is that the media sort of, you know, slams corporates for having these targets, having these things that they they sort of um want to happen. And it makes it sound like the independent independents don't do that too, and it's not the case. And it just gives corporates a bad name. And realistically, most of the vet practices are the same corporate or not. Um
2: That's- Absolutely. And what I will say as well is I've worked at two of the biggest corporates in the UK and I've never been set um, that kind of target. I've always done the best by the animals. And so there's no real need to set those targets because if you do right by the animal, that, that's all that they expect from you. Um So I I've never had those targets set for me as a corporate. And I think that's a bit of a myth. I don't know where that comes from. Um, I don't know whether somebody had bad experience and that's been propagated, but it's certainly not something that I've ever experienced in the corporate world.
1: Yeah. And I think, again, it just goes to show that, you know, you need to be careful about what information it is that you're, that you're believing in, like taking to be as the truth. it just really sort of highlights how how easily information can be spread um, that isn't true. Um, and I think it also just goes down to show that at the end of the day, you when you qualify to be a vet and if you're a pet owner and you're trying to decide where to take your pet, all it comes down to is choosing the practice that works best for you and that best yeah. meets what it is that you like. And if that's a corporate, great. And if it isn't, then that's fine too.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. But at the end of the day, vets are all people that really care about animals and, and want to provide the best for their animals. So I think it doesn't necessarily make too much difference where you end up taking your pet and things like that. No matter where you go, you're, you're going to be provided with the best service that you can be. Um, yeah. Um, Can you think of any potential benefits to um, our patients and the animals of of pet owners taking their pets to a corporate instead of an an independent practice? I think
2: the knowledge sharing um, community in the corporate is massive. So because you know so many clinicians either in your local area or in the company that you work for, if you get a tricky case that you're not sure about it's so easy to pick up the phone and speak to somebody who can help you or who can advise you on where to send the pet next that's a real benefit for animal owners another thing is they often have um quite sophisticated systems that make things very easy for clients so things like that I know weren't as automated and easy when I was in independent practice so things like you know booster reminders and reminders about flea and worm treatment are all automatically done for the clients so they don't have to think about it um certainly at the group i work at and i know some of the other corporates as well we have shared um practice management systems so if you go on holiday to another part of the uk and your dog injures itself and you have to go to a vet, we've got all the history we've got everything there for your pet which makes it really really easy and also what i would say is clinical standards because of the sheer and health and safety the sheer sheer size and scale of corporates they're usually just completely adopted and you know the, the gold standard is done because we have to do that because you know as a big company reputations and things like that are on the line so you can usually say that with a corporate company we adopt whatever is best practice because we have to by sheer size of what we're doing there is no room for cutting any corners or or doing anything by half half measures
3: I think it's really um interesting to talk about like how it makes um the like client's um position much easier with sort of reminders and things like that just being all fluid and that probably takes a lot of weight off of the people working at the veterinary practice anyway because they're not getting this um backlash of things not working or just the added struggle of um maybe like owners not getting their boosters on time and like the consequences of that like everything it making it easier for everyone involved is definitely a huge benefit um what what else would you say is one of the biggest benefits for working in a corporate for for the vet themselves
2: So, again, similar to, well, clinical practice, like I say, is always gold standard. And I would say that most corporates will not argue about giving their vets the best tools or the best facilities that they need to succeed. If there's the right reason to put an investment in place is often a, um, a huge amount more degree of reinvestment in corporate practice. Not always. You know, not always some independent practices do this really well as well. Um, but in corporates, there is often a huge amount of reinvestment in facilities. There's huge amount of reinvestment in CPD. Um, we, when, when I moved to a corporate practice, there was lots that I gained that I'd really not realised that I'd missed before. So things like, you know, maternity packages, um, definite CPD structure, um, the salary reviews being told that I definitely have somebody every year sit down with me and discuss my performance properly and you know all these things that we kind of really didn't have before or came to effect when we moved to a large group um and like I say, we tend to adopt anything, whether that's employment practice or whether that's clinical practice or whether that's health and safety practice. It all tends to be done to the very best of the company ability because it's really it's not really worth their while not to. They have to do those things because by sheer enormity of the size of the company, it's really important you do them.
3: I'll just say for our listeners that CPD is continuing professional development. I'll just acronym there.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so that's the courses and um different certificates and things that you can undertake after you qualify.
1: While we're on the topic of um you know benefits of corporates and things, would you be able to tell us a little bit more about you know like the kind of graduate programs and things that corporates offer? Because in in my mind, I think that's one of the biggest things that sort of attracts Absolutely. me to a corporate. um and I think they've, they've got a lot of really good things to offer and especially as you know corporates grow and they become sort of more popular I feel like the programs that corporates offer to new grads become sort of more competitive and you know better so could you talk us through what is sort of on offer there and why they're so useful
2: yeah, absolutely. And they are one of the most amazing things um, to come of corporatization. So, when I was a new graduate um, and I joined an independent practice, my life changed when I met a mentor in that practice. But up until that point, it was really kind of just get on with it, you know, try and survive a little bit. And that can be really daunting and intimidating straight after vet school when. You've gone through that whole five years. You've had tutors and lecturers really supporting you. You've also been with all of your colleagues and your student group. And then all of a sudden you're on your own um, in the consult room, expected to make animals better for the first time. And you absolutely can do it. Um, You're really, really well trained. But it's really nice to have some support as you go into what is one of probably the biggest transitions that you'll ever make in your lifetime. So what the corporates have done is set up um, graduate programmes and we pretty much all have them. Um, And usually what they contain is um, either a year or 18 months or two years of CPD that is really uh, like continuing professional development and courses that is really relevant to your first year in practice. So it might be that, you know, once a month, you come out of your clinic and you go to a course um, on, I don't know, surgery. And then the next month you might go to one on medicine, and the next month you might go to one on exotic animals, but they're all really tailored to helping you settle into that first year of practice. The other thing is, is those courses are usually done as a big group. So you get to meet other graduates, and when you're in your first role, other graduates and other newly qualified vets become a huge Kind of support network for you and we usually organize social things as well where you can meet and mix I think I mentioned earlier about our graduate gala that was great because all of our graduates got to to get together at the same time and we are constantly listening to what our graduates want and it changes over time um, and so we are constantly changing and tweaking these graduate schemes to make them the very best um, I mean one of the things that I've recently changed in the Medivet graduate scheme is we've introduced mentors um, that are actually part of our graduate team. So every graduate gets a mentor in their clinic and then they also get a mentor who's an experienced vet that's part of the graduate team that they can spend time with if the guys in clinic are really, really busy or if there's a specific area that they want to focus on. My team can deal with quite bespoke requests. So we're always listening to what graduates want and it'll change and it will evolve and by the time the people listening to this podcast have graduated I'm sure that there'll be different things that they need to support them because the industry will have changed again but one of the great things about corporate is that we've got the resources and the scale to be able to deliver that um, for all of the graduates that join us rather than just leaving them to kind of fend for themselves in that really tricky transition period which is such a fun time but can be really daunting as well.
3: Yeah I can definitely see the appeal of sort of having this continued network of support around you and we always talk about like mentoring on this podcast and how like how vital it is for a profession especially like this with such huge responsibility and she said coming from being a new graduate is such a huge transition and I feel yeah. like vet school can only do so much to prepare you for that big sort of leap um, into the into the world as a, as a newly qualified vet so it's nice to know that there are um, networks out there that will help you with this. I was just wondering are you by doing a graduate program with a um, corporate are you like tied to that corporate? I don't really know how it works.
2: Different uh, mix really there are some corporates who will say that you are tied to that corporate um because it's a really significant investment that they're making you by doing a graduate scheme you know they pay for your travel and attendance and the speakers and just kind of everything about doing the graduate course so there are some that say that you are tied for a certain number of years Um, we don't actually say that um but there are some that will will ask you to commit for a certain time frame. So what I would say is when you come to thinking about that, it's just a question that you need to ask um, and we'll always be really open and honest about what any time commitment or any commitment looks like, but we as a group don't do any kind of commitment. You can join and if you're not happy, you can move on. But what I will say is that we don't get many people who want to move on from ours, we're very lucky.
1: I would just add in there as well, just because I feel like hearing that, you know, some corporates tie you in, it can sound a little bit intimidating. And I feel like some people might feel a bit stuck. However, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Like a lot of people will do um, placements while they're at vet school, at practices and then get job offers from those practices. And that's how a lot of people land their first job. Um, so you know, if you've done a placement somewhere and you really enjoy it, you get on really yeah. well there. You love the environment. They offer you a job, and it's it's a corporate, and they've got a graduate scheme and tied in for a couple of years or however long it is. you've already like had a trial run. Now, obviously, you've then got less freedom to leave if whatever happens. However, it's not like you're sort of going in blind. So, yeah, I'd just like to add in there that whilst it might not be ideal to be tied in, um, if you can test it out beforehand, it probably won't matter too much.
2: And what um, I will say is that most corporates recognize that this time in your life is often, as well, a time of personal change as well. So it could be that you're moving away from home for the first time, or you might have met somebody and be moving in with somebody straight after university. Or you might have, you know, somebody that you have a relationship with at university lives in a different part of the country to you. And after about six to eight months, you think, oh, we now want to move in together. These are really common scenarios that we get from our graduates. Um, and actually, again, because of the size and the scale of the corporate groups, often it, it is a case of, Well, you can stay on our graduate programme, but we can move you to a different practice. So, you know, if you join us in Cardiff and then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, you want to move to Liverpool, we can usually facilitate that. Um, So it doesn't actually, although maybe you're tied to the group, it doesn't necessarily mean you're tied to the practice. The other thing is sometimes people join a practice or a clinic and. Maybe they just don't gel with their mentor and it's nobody's fault. It's not the graduate's fault. It's not the mentor's fault, but they just don't have that natural click and chemistry that we'd like. You know, most places will then offer you a move to a different clinic with a different mentor. So it might be that you're tied to the company, but not necessarily to the clinic if there is any problems or reasons that you want to, to leave to go somewhere else.
1: Yeah, that's great. I think we've just really highlighted how flexible um, corporates are. And I'm sure there'll there'll be individual practices that might not be and things like that. You know, you you always get some things of everything that aren't quite as good as the rest. And that's just normal. And that's part of life. Um, But we've spoken about so many advantages of corporates. And I think it's exactly what we wanted to highlight, because corporates do get a bit of a bad rep. And I feel like Often, it's very much not deserved. Um, So it's been great to really sort of shine a light on the advantages. Um, Are there any potential disadvantages or drawbacks that you can think of for corporates in terms of, you know, for clients or for patients or for vets themselves? Sort of any sort of negatives or not so good points?
2: I would say there's, there's only two that I can think of. Um, The first one is, is for somebody who is a vet who works for corporate and I really care about my patients and I really care about um, the pets that I treat. um, It can be sometimes a bit disheartening to read some of the stuff that you read about corporate practice. Um, And that's probably because I really believe that we're, we're all accountable for making whatever workplace we're in whatever it is um so that that can be challenging sometimes but the benefits and the fact that you know you just have to bear in mind exactly what you said Bronte you just have to bear in mind that not everything that you read is exactly a true reflection of maybe what even has happened then you can just kind of rise above that the only other I suppose it's a slight disadvantage but I think it's actually a good advantage as well, is that sometimes decisions in an independent practice can be made really quickly, because there might be one, two, three people that need to okay and clear whatever decision it is that need to be made. And sometimes that can be a bit slower in a corporate practice, because there's different levels of people with different responsibilities that need to make these decisions. But actually often that's an advantage because On its way to whatever outcome it is, the decision is often really heavily chatted through with lots of people, with lots of different opinions. And there's been lots of times in corporate practice where I've almost thought with my independent head and thought, I mean, this is a really sensible decision. Why aren't we making this? Why aren't we doing this? Or Why are we not doing this? And then after hearing from some of my colleagues who've got different skills to what I have or different areas of interest that I have, they've raised points that maybe I didn't think about. So actually, I think that's a bit of a strength as well, is that the corporate entities bring together a lot of skills. And some of these skills are vet-specific, and some of them are skills that that don't have, like HR and marketing and IT skills. And so when you get all those skills together, you actually learn a lot about a lot of different things. And like I say, you hear a lot of different, but all equally as important opinions um, about things that you might have just made a snap decision on before when you were independent.
3: And one, like when I was reading up about corporatization, and I think this is a lot more like a lot of the stories you hear are much more focused in America, um, whereas I think there's like a a few like incredibly large corporates. um, And something like i heard like a few people have like concerns about is about a lot of management roles to going going to like non-vets and how like maybe it then the vets feel like there are things being asked of them from people who like don't understand the profession and like maybe they feel like their like their duty of care like as a vet might be compromised slightly because they're being asked to do something they don't feel is best
2: i think um Again, it's a really interesting one and it's interesting how these stories propagate because I would say that the majority of corporates that I know have a lot of vets in senior management positions. And there are some positions within a big business that they're not the best thing for a vet to do and you need someone almost with a different qualification to do that. So things like um, your chief financial officer, I mean um there are a couple of vets who are accountants as well <laughs> um but they are not as common um and so you really want somebody who's trained in that area and that aspect as opposed to a vet but what I will say is I've been managed by people who are vets in the corporate industry and I've been managed by people who are non-vets in the corporate industry in fact my boss at the moment is a, is a non-vet um what I would say is that they have skills And experiences that I don't have, but they are really keen for me to learn from and to teach me. And the respect is mutual. So I always find that the non-vets who work in the corporate setting will always come, they'll ask, they'll talk to me. If they've heard something and they think that doesn't make sense to me, why would we do it this way? When, you know, maybe logic says we do it a different way. There's a real respect for veterinary knowledge because i think everybody knows in the business that without the vets without the nurses without the receptionists and our patient care assistants you know there is no higher parts of the corporate there is no upper parts of the corporate so we put a lot of emphasis on the skill of the people in practice and we try really hard to listen and, and take their voices on board but it's also great because i have learned so much working in a large group um skills and things that I never probably would have even thought I'd dream of learning if I was in an independent practice.
1: I think again it just really goes to show how important it is when you're looking for a job whether you're a new grad whether you've been in practice for you know 20 years what's the most important thing is just finding a practice that you Yeah. You know, you you get on well with a a team that, you know, you really gel with and that you are happy to work with and also just respecting and really valuing everybody in the team, no matter what their role is. And really understanding that everybody has got a strength and a specific role to play. Um, Absolutely. And I think it's very easy to, you know, look at a corporate and think, oh, well, it's not owned a vet. How can a non-vet run a vet practice? But if you're running vet practices on that scale, you're going to need people with a more business mind. Because the thing is, all vet practices are a business at the end of the day without profit being made. They're never going to stay open. And that is the reality of of vet med. There's, There's no NHS for animals. So, practices have to make a profit um and it's, it's another thing that is sort of like demonized in the media vet practices making a profit i'm not saying that vets and everybody working in the practice should be profiting off poorly animals and taking it straight out of owners pockets however everything has a cost and everybody also needs to earn their wages and make a living um but it's something that is really demonized and isn't really fair um so i think it's just important to remember that yes corporates on a big are on a big scale but that doesn't make them a bad thing. Um, and then being business minded and things like that also isn't a bad
2: thing. There's there's strengths in everything. Um, They're so- also often the drivers for standards across the industry to be improved, um, whether that's clinical standards, whether that's employment standards, it, it, it is often that the corporates can often pave the way for these things to be improved across all clinics.
1: Exactly. And I think this episode, we've spoken so much about the advantages and what corporates really do have to offer. And I hope that everybody listening now has a much better understanding of firstly, what corporatization actually is and why it's happened, but also has a bit more of a rounded understanding of why it's important and what corporatization actually does have to offer not only to new grads, qualified vets that have been working for 20 years in practice, pet owners, patients themselves, but also just the profession as a whole, because it benefits everybody. Um, And also, hopefully you guys now have a bit more of a sort of conscious thought to think about the information that you're reading in the media and, you know, put that into context. If you hear something bad about a corporate I want you guys to think to yourself okay is this a specific corporate problem or is this something that could just be any that
2: practice in yeah. in the country it's just a group of people and it doesn't matter um you know really what name is, is above the door so the reputation that that practice gets is down to the people in that clinic and what what they do to look after it and own it exactly i couldn't agree more Um, Thank you so much
1: for your time today, Rian. I know I've definitely learned a lot and I'm feeling sort of even more excited and intrigued of um, graduate programmes at corporates and all the things that that I can look forward to to come in the future. Um, So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It was lovely to see you guys again. Thank you thank you everybody to listening we hope you've really enjoyed again if you would like to hear more about Rian's journey into vet school um, and her life um, as you know since she's qualified please do check out the previous episode um, and we'll see you again in the next episode thank you thank you
0: So we really hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you found it helpful, then please share it with others that you think will find it useful too. Again, make sure to subscribe to both our podcast and YouTube channel with the same name, So You Want To Be A Vet, to be notified of when our next episode is released. Also, don't forget to leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts if you enjoyed. Follow us on Instagram at So You Want To Be A Vet for exclusive quizzes, behind the scenes and updates on all things So You Want To Be A Vet and Vet Mentor. Remember to follow at VetMentor2 to learn more about the opportunities such as our interview skills workshops and our amazing summer school that will help you further your application to vet school. If you have any questions or thoughts, then please comment them below the Instagram post for this episode. And if you want to hear us discuss something, then please let us know. You can find our email address in the description. Thanks for listening. Take care.